I'd like to invite anybody here who's wearing an earring, uh, if it's easy to get it out, to take one of them out, uh, can either be the right or the left. So uh, if you're wearing earrings uh, and you're willing to do it, just take one out and uh, hold it in your hand. Now, I understand that many of us don't have earrings today. Last night I asked Lisa if she had any clip-on earrings I could, I could wear. Uh, she didn't, and she's like, no, you can't. So no, I don't have any earrings. <laughs> But if you do have an earring, uh, this might be a little more meaningful to you. If you don't, I'm sorry, but uh, I think you'll still get the point. But if you have an earring, uh, I ask that you just take it out and hold it in your hand and maybe look at it. And I want you to think for a minute as you look at that earring, uh, what it symbolizes to you. It could be symbolized lots of things. You may look at that earring and you may think of the person who bought it for you. Uh, You may think of the store where you bought it. Uh, you might look at that earring and it might symbolize to you beauty. This might have been, these might be some of your favorite earrings and you were glad to put them in this morning. Uh, that earring might symbolize to you uh, a statement of individuality. Um, maybe this represents your personality in a particular kind of way. Maybe the uh, earring represents uh, money or blessing, some sort of uh, gift that uh, reminds you that God has been generous to you. Maybe when you look at that earring, you're reminded of something spiritual, that maybe those earrings have a spiritual meaning to you. Now, hold on to it for just a minute. The tradition of wearing earrings goes back millennia. And there's lots of streams of tradition that feed into the fact that uh, people wear earrings today. We're not usually conscious of those streams of tradition when we put in the earrings. And one of them that I think in the West we've completely forgotten about is the one that comes from the Bible. Earrings are a clear part of the Bible, and that's part of what informs why women and men, some men, wear earrings today. But it's not usually a conscious part when we put in earrings. But since many of you have earrings and are wearing them, It's a good opportunity to talk about that stream of tradition that we get from the Old Testament. And one of the most important mentions of earrings comes in the book of Exodus chapter 21. And there, God is giving laws about masters and servants. And he's talking about the fact that after six years, on the seventh year, all servants have to be uh, let go. They have to be able to go free. Now, when you hear that, sometimes we translate that Hebrew word for servant. Sometimes we translate it as slave. That's not really a great English translation for the word because when you hear slave, we tend to think of North American slavery. And what was going on in Israel is is radically different than what was happening in uh, Western Europe and in North America uh, when it comes to slavery. In ancient Egypt, being a servant for someone had a little more, it was a little more like working for somebody. And that uh, the the case could come up whereby when the seventh year rolled around, you didn't want to stop working for the master that you were working for. And so the Hebrew Bible makes provision for if you want to stay with your master, you can. If they've been generous to you, if they've taken good care of you, again, it was not like slavery as we think of slavery. It was serving somebody, and if you had a good master, 
There's provision from God to stay with that master. The provision is spelled out in Exodus 21, verses five and six, and this is what it says. If the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children and do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be his servant for life. And one of the streams of tradition, which you probably didn't think of when you put on those earrings this morning, is that it represents the idea that in the Old Testament, earrings represented the choosing of a master. Now, you're welcome to keep the earrings out if you'd like. You're also welcome to put them back in. Uh, You might want to hold on to them as we go through the sermon. You may want to put them back in. Whatever you choose is fine. But what we want to talk about this morning is the idea that in the Old Testament law, everything that's written is written to teach us about God and about our relationships to others. Exodus 21 is not just a history lesson about how ancient Israelites interacted between masters and servants. It's been recorded for us by God because God wants us to understand that he's our master and that we have the opportunity to be his servant. And that today, God wants to make the same offer to you that's made in Exodus 21, which is, if you think God is a good master, If you think that God is a loving master, if God takes good care of you or is promised to take good care of you, you can have him as master for the rest of your life. Now, the important thing from Exodus 21, and this is part of the reason why it's pretty different from slavery in North America or Western Europe, it's the servant's choice. It's the servant's choice who says, look, I've been treated really good. I've been treated really well. I want to stay with this master. And so this morning, God is going to make the same offer to you and I. He's going to offer uh, what his services as master will look like, and he's going to give each one of us the choice. Do we want to choose to stay with him, or do we want to go our own way? So I'd like to invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 28. Isaiah 28, it's page 575 in the church Bibles. As you're turning, let me just say as a a side note that the idea of masters and servants and earrings in Exodus gives some explanation to what's going on in Exodus 32 with the sin of the golden calf. Does anyone remember what the Israelites made the golden calf out of. Earrings. Earrings they got where? In Egypt because they were slaves or servants. They had things in their ears that reminded them they were in bondage and in captivity to a master. Now in that case, the masters were harsh and it was vicious slavery. When God brought them out of slavery, think of the great offense of taking this thing which once represented their slavery in Egypt, but which now represented the freedom that God gave them, that they would take those things and make an idol and reject God as master. 
choosing instead themselves as master. Something similar is going on in Isaiah 28. The children of Israel are going to be faced with the offer. Here is God. He's offering to be your master for life. We're going to see their rejection of that offer. But far, far more important, you and I need to understand that through Isaiah 28, God is making the same offer to you and I today. And it's going to be my urgent plea that you not do what Israel did, but that instead you accept the offer. So let's begin in Isaiah 28 by looking at the offer God's making. And there are three parts to it in this chapter that present the offer he's making. The first part is in verses five and six. In that day, the Lord Almighty will be a glorious crown, a beautiful wreath for the remnant of his people. He will be a spirit of justice to the one who sits in judgment, a source of strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. Now Isaiah uses a piece of jewelry here to make his point, but instead of earrings, he's talking about a crown. Most of us didn't wear crowns today, so we're going to stick with earrings. But if you think about earrings, they do function the same way a crown do in this sense. They're a strange piece of jewelry. They're strange in the sense of, unless they're big or heavy, once you put them on, you often forget you're wearing them. You can't really see them in your peripheral vision. And you tend to put them on for the morning and then wear them for the day and you forget that they're there. But notice what Isaiah says. In that day, the Lord Almighty will be a glorious crown. We could say, in that day, the Lord Almighty will be a beautiful pair of earrings. And the point is, what God is offering is, just like your earrings, when you put them in, you take them with you wherever you go. God is offering to be with us wherever we go. That even if we don't see him, even if we forget that he's there, he's with us all the time. And that if you need justice because you happen to have work as a judge, or you need strength because your job is to be a soldier, whatever you need, God is with you to provide. That's the offer that he's making. That just like those earrings you put in are with you all day, God is saying, I will be there for you. Whatever you need, I will provide. That's the first part of the offer. The second way the offer is stated is in verse 12. To whom he said, this is the resting place, let the weary rest. And this is the place of repose, but they would not listen. Now in just a minute, we're going to get to the fact that Israel rejected the offer. But in the midst of verse 12, we see another aspect of the author, of the offer. See, the problem is, if I talk to you about God as master, you might think, well, he's going to work me to death. Or he's going to send me someplace I don't want to go. Or he's going to give me assignments that I don't like. But what he's offering here is rest. Nothing could be further from the truth. God is not interested in grinding you into the ground. He wants to lead you to a place of rest and of refuge. This is why we say in the scriptures, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. 
He settles me down in green pastures. The offer is, as God is saying, is not only will I be with you to provide for you everything that you need, the path that I put you on is a path of blessing. You heard it in Ned's testimony, couldn't be any clearer. While he was trying to write his own story, that story led to tragedy and difficulty. When he stepped into God's story, it was a story that led to blessing and to rest and to refuge and to life. That's what God is offering. Come with me on a journey and I will take you to a place of green pastures and still waters. The third aspect of the offer that God is making is in verse 23. Listen and hear my voice. Pay attention and hear what I say. When a farmer plows for planting, does he plow continually? Does he keep on breaking up and working the soil? When he has leveled the surface, does he not sow caraway and scatter cumin? Does he not plant wheat in its place, barley in its plot, and spelt in its field? His God instructs him and teaches him the right way. Caraway is not threshed with a sledge, nor is the wheel of a cart rolled over cumin. Caraway is beaten out with a rod and cumin with a stick. Grain must be ground to make bread, so one does not go on threshing it forever. The wheels of a threshing cart may be rolled over it, but one does not use horses to grind grain. All this also comes from the Lord Almighty, whose plan is wonderful, whose wisdom is magnificent. Now you may think, I have just learned a lot about caraway and cumin and I couldn't care less. (laughs) But if you're a farmer, you might care. And the point is, God knows how farmers are to do their job. He created the world. He knows how accountants do accounting. He knows how nurses need to do nursing. He knows how students should be students. And the offer from God is the wisdom and knowledge God has about how to live this life. That's what he wants to give. The offer that's on top where God says, I will be your master and your Lord. What he's offering is, come this way. I will be with you. Whatever you need, I will provide. I will lead you to a place of blessing and refuge and wonderful experiences life. And I will guide you along the way. This is the offer God is making. Now you would hear that and think, who in their right mind wouldn't accept that offer? Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want God with you providing strength and justice, leading you to a place of blessing, giving you his wisdom and knowledge? But unfortunately, there are people who reject that offer. They don't want God to be master. They want something else. Just like the children of Israel in Exodus 32, so the children of Israel in Isaiah 28 Let's see their response to this offer by God because unfortunately it does represent some of our responses as well. It's in verse seven. And these also stagger from wine and reel from beer. Priests and prophets stagger from beer and are befuddled with wine. They reel from beer. They stagger when seeing visions. They stumble when rendering decisions. All the tables are covered with vomit. 
and there is not a spot without filth. The problem is the children of Israel decided they didn't want God as master. What they wanted as master was alcohol. You see, everybody, every human needs something that will be with them in times of trouble. Something that will make them feel like they have rest and refuge. Something that will help them make decisions. And what the children of Israel turned to was alcohol. And sadly, this is what some people today choose as master. This is what some people today choose. Look, the bottle is going to help me deal with the stress of life. Life is hard. Everybody agrees to that. God is making an offer saying, I will guide you safely through it. And the children of Israel said, no thanks, we choose the alcohol. And to be honest, some of us do that today. And if it's not alcohol, it might be the approval of others. It might be the desires of our own flesh. Whatever it is, we're all looking for something that's going to help us get through life and experience what we think are the blessings of life. And the children of Israel chose alcohol. Now it gets worse. Verse nine. Who is it he is trying to teach? To whom is he explaining his message? To children weaned from their milk? To those just taken from the breast? So here you got to imagine some of these uh, people of Judah sitting around inebriated and Isaiah's preaching to them. And they're saying to one another, what's this guy talking about? Is he talking to us? Does he think we're just children? All this God stuff, that's just hokey stuff. We don't need that anymore. And then comes, literally, I think, one of the funniest verses in the Bible, if it wasn't so sad. Verse 10. For it is... Do this, do that, a rule for this, a rule for that, a little here, a little there. Now, in an English Bible, you have to put all the words in English or you haven't really translated things. But you can tell that the translators don't really want to put it into English because they give you a little footnote to tell you that unless you actually hear this in Hebrew, you won't get what's going on. So you see that little A, superscripted A at the end of the word that? If you look down in the footnote, it says in Hebrew... Sav lasav, sav lasav, kav lakav, kav lakav. That's literally what it says in Hebrew. And then you look through it in Isaiah, you got all these weird looking Hebrew words. And then you get this line, which is just, they all look exactly the same. Sav lasav, sav lasav, kav lakav, kav lakav. What this literally is, is people saying, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it is. This is the Hebrew version of blah, blah, blah. Sav lasav, sav lasav, kav lakav, kav lakav. And the translators are saying, we can't really just put that in. And so they put some words with it. And those are fine guesses as to what people might be saying. But literally what they're saying is, Savlasav, Savlasav, Kavlakav, Kavlakav. And the problem is, we do the same thing today. God says to us, I want to be your master and Lord. And we say, yeah, blah, 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 blah. God says, I want to lead you to a place of blessing. Yeah, whatever, blah, 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 blah. This is what they're saying back to God. God is saying to them, hey, look, I don't want you to go that direction. I don't want you dating that non-Christian. I don't want you engaging in that pornography. I don't want you drinking all of that alcohol. I don't want you giving into that anger. And we say back to God, yeah, whatever, blah, 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 blah. That's what they were saying. 
That's what they're doing. This offer of, I will be with you. I will guide you. I will help you. And they sat there in church and just simply said, here we go again, God, blah, 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 blah. And again, it's a hilarious verse, except for how sobering it is. Because the problem is, is we're in danger of giving this exact response back to God. And whether you're not yet a Christian, even if you are a Christian, they're all areas of our life in which God says, I want to be master and Lord. And we say, yeah, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to get on with some other stuff. So what's God's response to people who treat him that way? Verse 11 through 13. Very well then, says the Lord, with foreign lips and strange tongues, God will speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the resting place, let the weary rest. And this is the place of repose, but they they would not listen. So then the word of the Lord to them will become, do this, do that, a rule for this, a rule for that, a little here, a little there. As that they go, they will fall backward. They will be injured and snared and captured. How does God respond when we say to him, blah, 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 blah? He says back to us, blah, 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 blah. It's a sobering warning. It's funny. It's okay to laugh. But do you hear what he's saying? If you continue to say to me, when I offer to you to be Lord and master, when I offer to you blessing and grace, when you, you say back to me, yes, I've heard you, whatever, blah, 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 blah. At some point, God is going to begin to talk back to us, blah, 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 blah. And we're going to come to him and say, why is my life such a mess? I'm in the midst of a blah, 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 whatever. Some of us ask, some of you ask, why don't I ever hear from God? If you have been telling God, blah, 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 he's talking to you in foreign languages and simply saying, blah, 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 blah. If you're asking God, hey, look, God, I just want you to tell me what I want to hear. If you're only going to do what God tells you, if you want to do it, You're saying to him, whatever, just tell me what I want to hear and let's get on with it. At some point, the very, very sobering truth is he's going to say back to you, blah, 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 blah. Now, why should it be that way? Why is God insisting that anybody who comes to him has to accept him as master and Lord? Why is he insisting that even you and I who are Christians don't get to keep portions of our life back and say to God, yeah, whatever? Why has he made it this way? See, the danger in Isaiah, I told told us this in Isaiah 6, is that the book of Isaiah is going to do one of two things in every person's life. On one hand, if you're willing, it will expand your vision of God. And you will see him high and lifted up and you will see a God who is saying to you, huge, enormous, spanning the universe, looking down and seeing your individual life and my life and saying to you, I will be like a pair of earrings hanging on your ears. I will go with you anywhere you go. If you need justice, I will give you justice. If you need strength, I will give you strength. I will lead you in paths towards blessing. I know exactly how your job's supposed to work. 
how your relationships are supposed to work, how school is supposed to work, how your health is, and I will guide you with wisdom and truth. And one option when you read Isaiah is you come to realize this God who created everything loves me. This God who created everything is making me an offer. I can be his servant for the rest of eternity. But for some, the book of Isaiah is going to harden hearts. And this morning, you are hearing God say to you, I want to be your master. And if your response is, blah, 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 blah. God says, your heart will be hardened. Why should it be that way? Why can't God just take it easy? Why can't he just let it slide? Why can't he allow some people to come in and go, yeah, okay, well, they don't really do all the stuff I wanted, but yeah, it's fine. Verse 16. This is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. That verse is about Jesus. It's a prophecy about Jesus. You see, when Jesus came into the world, Jesus, who is himself very God, who has all of the authority that God the Father has, who has all of the power that God the Father has. Jesus, the only begotten of God the Father, when he came into this world, when he became a human, Psalm 40 and Hebrews 10 tells us what his attitude was and what he said when he came in. Look at what it says. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Literally, my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. What God is saying in Isaiah 28, because when Jesus came, He did not say to the Father, blah, 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 blah. Instead, he said, I'm here to do your will. He has become the cornerstone of a new building that God is building. And God's point is, I'm not letting anybody into the building who says blah, 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 blah. The cornerstone didn't do that. This is very God of very God who did not say back to the Father, well, what about my will? This is very God who was without sin. He didn't say back to God, but what about what I want? What he said to the Father was, here I am, my ears are pierced. I choose you as master. You give me the instructions and I'll obey. And God said, I will not allow anybody into the building without that kind of attitude. I'm building a new building. We've had enough buildings built with blah, 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 blah. They fall over. This is a new building. And it's built on a cornerstone. And the cornerstone is Jesus. And he said, here I am. Take me to the doorpost. Pierce my ears. I've come to obey. And everything you tell me to do, I will do. I've told you before, up here, about panic attacks that I've experienced. I'm not going to go back through all of the details for you. But suffice it to say, for multiple years there was unexpected panic attacks that shook me. And the problem is Isaiah 28, 16 says, 
the one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. And I used to read that verse and think, but God, you said no panic. Where are these panic attacks coming from? But the truth of the matter is, Isaiah 28, 16 was right and I was wrong. Even though I was a Christian, even though I had my ears pierced, even though I'd chosen God as master, there were things in my life in which I thought I would do a better job blessing myself than God was doing. There were things in my life in which I refused to submit my will to his. Now, if you've asked me, I've said, well, yeah, I'm all in, whatever God wants. But there were particular areas in which I was saying small, small areas, blah, 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 blah. And the problem is, I was shaken with fear. And God says, that's not the way it's meant to be. And when by his mercy and grace, I had no idea what they were, but when by his mercy and grace he started to show me, I realized Isaiah 28, 16 is true. That when you follow the example of Jesus and in whatever area where the anxiety or the panic or the fear or the depression, wherever that's coming in, if you say, not my will, but yours be done. If you acknowledge, I'm here with my ears pierced, I'm not the master, I'm here to obey. Then you will be built on the foundation and not be shaken. Please don't miss this message. This is not just, well, if you're not a Christian, it is for those who are non-Christians, please come be part of this building. It's also for those of us who are Christians, if there is some aspect of your life that you're like, 95% of my life, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Whatever that area is in which you're saying back to God, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, whatever. I don't want to think about it. You are in danger of being shaken. And I know that from personal experience. And all I'm trying to tell you is, please, Jesus set the cornerstone. And when you build your life following his example, which says to the Father, here I am, I've come to do your will, you will not be stricken with panic. Peter sums all of this up for us in 1 Peter chapter 2. He begins chapter 2 with, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted the Lord is good. In other words, now that you've begun to experience that God is a good master, why not sign on to let him be your master for life? And to do so, get rid of all the other stuff that you and I might turn to for help in the midst of trouble. Now that you've begun to taste that God is good, listen to what this verse is saying. God is the only drug that fully satisfies. You can crave him all you want, and all there is is more, more, more. If you turn to alcohol, if you turn to other drugs, if you turn to pride, if you turn to the approval, there will never be enough to satisfy. And he says, now that you've seen that I fully satisfy, why not come get your ears pierced? Why not come choose me to be your Lord for all of eternity? Can you imagine the deepest craving of your heart satisfied for eternity? Can alcohol do that? Can drugs do that? Can pride do that? Can money do that? Can success do that? What in this world could ever satisfy you like that? Please hear the promise of God. You've already had a taste. 
There is infinitely more where that comes from. Peter goes on to the next section. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. That's our verse. That's Isaiah 28, 16. And what Peter is telling us is God's building a new building. And the cornerstone of that building is Jesus. And we, you and I, like living stones, when we act like Jesus, when we take that mindset of not my will but yours be done, God begins to fit us into a building. And that building, even the gates of hell, cannot overcome. That's why you won't be shaken. That's why you'll not be stricken with panic. That's why you'll never be put to shame is because as you allow yourself to get built into that building, you will have a sure foundation and strength for whatever comes. But Peter goes on, same passage. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumbled because they disobeyed the message, which is also what they were destined for. There are some people who reply to this offer with blah, 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 blah. And the problem is Jesus becomes a stumbling block. And it doesn't matter if you're saying it with your whole life or just one portion of your life. At no point did Jesus say back to the Father, I don't like this plan, I'm doing my own thing. Because he didn't, He becomes a sure foundation for all of us who are willing to say, not my will, but yours be done. But to anybody who won't, he trips us up. We think we're doing fine. We're walking along the path and then we realize my panic attacks were a sign that something non-Jesus was going on in my life. Not my whole life, not even a majority of my life, but there was an area And the danger is, if you say back to God, blah, 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 at some point, you find yourself tripping over Jesus. And no matter how right you and I think we are, no matter how justified we think we are in our own minds, no matter how sure we are that we are right, Jesus forever stands against us and says, but I was sinless, and I had my ears pierced. I was sinless. I was equal with God. And I said, not my will, but yours be done. Which leads to the last section in 1 Peter 2. But you and I are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I don't know if you know this or not, but 1 Peter 2 is a quote from Exodus 19. This was the offer God made to Israel, that he would make them into a holy nation, a chosen people, and they chose instead to take the earrings out of their ears and build a golden calf and worship that. And in Isaiah 28, they chose to say blah, 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 blah. And to you and I today, God is saying, there are people in this world who reject this offer. 
and now I make it to you. And you and I have a choice. The choice is on the servant. The master's made his offer. God is saying to you today, if you're not a Christian, what I'm offering you is my presence with you, rest, guidance, and eternal life. And if you're a Christian, what I'm offering to you is my presence, rest, guidance, and eternal life. And if today, you in your heart say, yeah, whatever, here we go, church, God, all over again, Jesus, cross, resurrection, blah, 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 blah. Be careful. At some point, you will find God saying back to you, blah, 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 blah. But if today, in whatever area of your life or in your whole life, you say back to God, you're right. I'm trying to do this my way. I'm trying to bless myself. I'm trying to choose my own path. Please forgive me. What you will find is that you become a stone in a building that cannot be shaken. And no matter what winds blow, no matter what storms come, you will not be stricken with panic. You will not be overwhelmed with anxiety. When doubts and discouragement come, they will not have victory over you. And you will be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, shining God's glory for all the earth to see. The choice is yours. The master's made his offer. You get to decide. Do you want your ears pierced or not?